Well, hello, White Sox fans. Welcome to an impromptu episode of White Sox Daily Live. We are here to talk about the hiring today of Pedro Grifal as the manager of our Chicago White Sox. My name is Ian Eskridge, and I'm here with my co-host, the Danny Miller. How you doing, Danny? Uh, you know what? We were just here uh, less than 24 hours ago, uh, kind of talking about exactly this thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, we were th- kind of thinking that uh, maybe the White Sox were following uh, their typical media blackout uh, during the uh, the uh, the pinnacle of the playoffs here. And, uh, you know, I'm a little bit shocked to be here. So when you ask how I'm doing, uh, you can put my jaw on the floor a little bit, you know. How's things with you, man, since we uh, last talked last evening? I'm doing good. Um, you know, it's – I wasn't expecting to be here tonight. Um, but, you know, hey, I'm good with it. Um you know, uh, I, I think that there there is a, you know, obviously a contingency of people that are not happy, and there are some that are okay with it, and then there are some that are happy. And I, I you know, I don't know as if I'm, I'm kind of like in the middle of okay with it and happy with it. You know, I, I I'm I don't want to get overexcited about it. You know, it's not, um, you know, it's not like the White Sox stole somebody that somebody else was necessarily looking to hire because everybody else has filled their vacancies and he's still available. Um, however, um, when you look into the career path of Griefall, I can't help but be optimistic about the fact that it's so diverse. Right. It really is super diverse. Um, for those of you that are not aware of exactly what Pedro Grifal is, what a Pedro Grifal is, um, he has been the bench coach for the Royals for, I think, three years now. Um, before that, he was the hitting coach and also a catching coach, also with the Royals. But previously to that, he had been with the Mariners as the director of minor league operations. He had been a manager in their lower-level minor league uh, affiliates. And uh, he had been a scout. I mean, the the guy has done an astounding amount of things for uh, a short amount of time, considering that he was also drafted uh, by the Twins um, and played you know, in their minor league system for a while. So the guy does ha- have quite a bit of diverse experience. He's also a Cuban-American, so there's also that connection as well to, you know, the current White Sox culture that's in the clubhouse. Um, How are you feeling about the hire? 
Um, you know, I, I'm kind of leaning a little bit towards the same direction as you are. Uh, you know, when his name first came up a few weeks ago, uh, we kind of talked about it. We just touched on it a little bit here and there. Uh, there was some talk on the socials and, you know, uh, I did some digging and I, you know, I found all the things that you mentioned in his, you know, career path. Um, <clears throat> I think I called him like a jack of all trades type in one conversation I was having. Uh, you know, I'm not totally, totally on board, but I'm not totally upset either. Uh, I feel much like I do about Grievel as I do with Rick Hahn this year. Uh, I might need a, a season of show me before I get completely on board. Uh, you know, as analytical minded White Sox fans, we tend to, uh, kind of watch games and, you know, we break things down as they're happening. You know, a lot of people will say, Oh, you guys want to talk about this move and that move in game. And it's easy to, you know, it's easy when hindsight is 2020, but in reality, we're doing these things live and in person as we're watching the game. And I think that's kind of what I'm going to be doing with grief a lot this year, this upcoming season is I'm going to be paying attention to his in game, uh, decision-making and, and, and moves throughout a game before I completely judge him. But as of right now, just given his history uh, and the fact that, you know, every report I've read about this guy is he is extremely analytical driven. This guy, I guess, showed up to every one of his interviews or, you know, whatever it was online, you know, he came loaded with knowledge of the ball club that he was interviewing for, and, you know, brought kind of uh, a, a, a plan that he had for those teams. And apparently impressed quite a bit across the board. So, you know, I, I just want to, that is a step in the right direction, in my opinion. You know, we've talked about how the White Sox have been a little bit behind the times on the analytics. Uh, or maybe, you know, our past manager looking into the wrong type of analytics, which we have you know, hit on quite a bit here on White Sox Daily Live. But uh, the fact that he is an, an analytics guy and he spends a, a, a lot of time kind of investigating things. I mean, he even went as far as doing like a sleep study in the past with one of his teams. I, I believe it was actually with the Royals when he did this. Um, I could be wrong on that, but I do remember reading that he did this, you know, this study about sleep and how it affects the game. And He takes the large sample size and breaks it down instead of just looking at a smaller sample size of analytics. So I think that's a big step in the right direction. Uh, I'm going to reserve judgment for now, but I can't really say a whole lot bad about it. Is it the big name hire that we were all looking for? No. You know, does the hire jump off the page immediately? No. You know, there are a lot of people out there saying, who is this guy? You know, and, and that's the kind of reaction that, you know, you might expect from a fan base. Because he wasn't that, he wasn't Bruce Bochy, you know. He wasn't a, a household name like Ron Washington or you know Joe Espada. Was Joe Espada really a household name until this you know managerial search started? Not really. So you know, right? So I, you know, I'm willing to give the guy a chance. Uh, the fact that they hired 
a bench coach with some recent winning uh, in, under his belt in Toronto. Uh, you know, might be another thing to look at. You know, he's had some success. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm looking forward to seeing something and and absolutely something different. By the way, because it was not an insular hire straight from the White Sox organization, which we've been talking about a lot here as well too. So, uh, you know, I kind of want to hear your thoughts as as you have you know maybe dug a little bit deeper into this thing over the last few hours. You know, kind of let the uh, the announcements settle in. Where is your head at? I have. You know, I know you kind of gave of me that. Yeah, you gave us that. You know, I'm not. I'm you know I'm between okay and good, but I'm sure. I'm sure you've kind of really done some more analytical thought behind that. Well, so as as you had mentioned, uh, he had he shows up to his interviews, and by you know the accounts that have been provided, he shows up very prepared with uh, a, quite a bit of analytical data and is ready to, um, you know, put a plan into action. And I think that that's, that, that's a great thing. You know, I, I, I don't feel like they probably would get that from some of the other candidates. And, you know, you heard, you know, I had mentioned it yesterday that somebody had said that, you know, that, um, uh, Espada had kind of shot himself in the foot and, you know, I kind of wonder, uh, what exactly he did to, you know, not only not get the White Sox job, but to not get a lot of other jobs. And he has interviewed for several and I, you know, I, it could be something as simple as, um, you know, that he is more focused on the Astros and is like, hey, I don't have time to be looking at these other clubs while I'm, you know, in the playoffs and, you know, look at me. Right. I'm Mr. Big. You know, I mean, that could be, that could be some of it. Um, but, you know, with how much you have heard the name Joe Espada in the last three years, um, you know, you, you have to figure he would have gotten one of these jobs. Right. Um, now, uh, as, as far as the hiring of Griefel, you know, the big complaints I've seen is that he comes from the Royals and they've been a garbage team for the last few years since he's been bench coach. And yes, while that's true, um, it's not it was not his decision I would imagine to start them on a full-blown rebuild. Uh, right. It has right. absolutely nothing to do with him. He just goes to work and he does <laughs> his job. You know, and I'm sure that he was doing whatever he could to try and get the Royals moving in the correct direction. Um so there's there's that aspect of it. Um yeah, and you know, I kind of want to just use this analogy really quickly to, you know, piggyback off what you're saying there. Imagine the 2017 White Sox. And imagine if the 2017, 2018 White Sox had a 
extremely capable coach on their bench. And, you know, come 2019, 2020, they fire the entire front office and this extremely capable coach is on this team. But he's been dealing with a White Sox team that has been absolutely decimated by trade and whatever. As the White Sox rebuild their organization and rebuild their farm system and go out and trade for all these players, it's it's a similar kind of thing that's going on over in Kansas City the last few years. So you can't really fault Pedro Grifo for not having the personnel on the field to be able to you know win a handful of games. And then the other part of that is is during that time, as the Royals are in a full-on rebuild, they have made the Sox look like a quad A team. Yep. So let's not forget that. And I'm sure a lot of that has to do with some pretty good stinking analytics. You know what I mean? Yeah. Pretty stinking good analytics going on over there. For them to be able to take their division rival who's supposed to be built to uh, to win this division the next few years. And the Royals make them look like clowns a better part of the time. So, sorry, I just wanted to throw that out there since you'd already kind of hit on that. A yeah, it's fine. Um, uh, one of the other things that I had also heard was, well, it, we hired a guy that his own team didn't even want him with with their with their vacancy opening. Yeah, you know, with their with their managerial vacancy, and to oh, which you got a completely brand new front. <laughs> yeah, that was exactly my response: is that you've got a brand new GM who just took over for the recently uh, departed Dayton Moore, and you know a guy like that when he gets hired, the first thing that generally that these new GMs do is they come in and they clean house. They're not going to be hiring the bench coach of the manager that they just let go. So right. he's or the guy that they, you know, the, the, the bench coach of their, the guy who was the head of the previous regime. Yeah. Really? You know, the previous GM made those hires. Yep. And now I have a question for you. Where did that new GM come from? What organization was he? Exactly. My next point is that okay. he comes from Tampa Bay lineage. So it only makes sense, and this is generally generally the way these things work, is when somebody comes in from another organization, they do their best to cherry-pick the best and brightest from their previous location. And they do this for a few reasons. A, they think that they are the best and brightest. And B... They know that they can work with them, and they know that that person knows how they want to run things and how things are going to happen. And right. You that, step into the job on the same level immediately. There's no feeling each other out. And uh, that's huge for a team that's in the middle of, or, you know, really kind of cre- creeping up on uh, their contention window here in the next year or two, honestly, with the, with the moves that have been being made over there. To a certain Maybe not. point. To a certain yeah. point. I mean, I think that there's still uh, <clears throat> quite a bit of work to do over there, but I think that they made a fairly decent, you know, decision in hiring Quattraro for doing whatever, you know, for the next steps that they plan on embarking on. I just, you know, I don't think it was ever a really a possibility. It's exactly like Miguel Cairo. He wasn't going to get the job here with the White Sox. 
that's not what you know they they Rick Hahn, you know, by pretty much all accords is that he had the managerial hiring process hijacked from him last time. And with that being the case, the last thing that Rick Hahn wanted to do was to keep somebody in the locker room that was going to have anything to do with the Tony LaRusa era. So, you know, and also, you know, there, there's been rumors and I, not that I really care what, you know, Larry Garcia happens to think, but apparently he didn't get along, get along at all with Miguel Cairo. What about, I don't know, but apparently there was some sort of a disagreement there. No idea what it's about, but you know, somebody coming into the organization has to have a fresh start. You know, and absolutely, that is one of the great things about one of the follow-up tweets to the fact that Griefall was getting the managerial position, which was that the coaches were not expected to be retained, except for Ethan Katz, and possibly, you know, possibly the bullpen coach. You know, which I don't know. I didn't. Uh, I didn't happen to catch that part of the tweet, but I'm seeing that Hassler is possibly being retained, even though that wasn't on that tweet. So I don't know how that is being assumed by other people. Um, I don't know if I just happened to miss something. Um, maybe there was a tweet that I did not see. I don't know. I have not seen any. So uh, there may be some news leaking from somewhere, but I have not seen that yet myself. Yeah. I don't know. But the fact that this, even though he is a first-time manager in Major League Baseball, they are not saddling him with absolute necessity that he keeps the coaches around that he doesn't necessarily want. So that means that we might also get some new blood. And that is one thing that has been severely lacking with the White Sox is that there has been a fairly massive black hole when it comes to voices from outside of the organization coming in and trying to make the organization better at development, to make them better at, you know, implementation of analytics and all sorts of stuff. I mean, there's just so much that I feel like the White Sox could do to get better. And I see bits and pieces of it down in the minor league system. Um, but, you know, when you go backwards in time and hire Tony LaRusa, you know, not to like sully this conversation about that but i mean when you go backwards in time to somebody who is not on the analytics train you know it kind of has a ripple effect through the rest of the organization and i right. think that hopefully with griefall coming over and with him being you know at least you know marginally even in in the analytical realm, even if he's, you know, 
on the moderate side of analytical data in this modern day, at least that's 10 steps farther than TLR. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it, you know, you bring up the fact that there's going to be new blood possibly in the coaching staff. You know, we're, you know, I think the, the tweet was coaches were not expected to be, to retained, be retained. Right. Uh, that's pretty telling. I mean, you, you might as well just go ahead and say that uh, Debo and Super Joe are not coming back. There's a good chance that uh, Frank is not going to be around. Uh, I don't know if that's the, you know true, but when Ethan Katz is the only name thrown out there, is probably a lock to stay. I would say it's going to be a pretty much a, a clean sweep and. You know, just like you said, when you get new voices, instead of just having one new voice in a head coach with a bunch of guys who are just kind of on board for the way things have been done for years and years and years, now you've got three, four, five, six, seven new voices. And those guys can make some noise as a group together. You know, there's strength in numbers. And, you know, when it comes down to sit at these these meetings with the GM and, and the president of baseball operation and the owners and, Hey, we need this. We need that. When you've got more than one guy pining for the things that you need, it tends to make people listen at least a little bit more, you know, it does that necessarily mean you're going to get the things you ask for. No, but I'm sure there's going to be some noise made for sure. Yeah. So that brings me to uh, the next tweet that was, brought out, which was that it was almost, uh, you know, I, not a hundred percent, but the, you know, which has been brought up more, more as, as the hours have gone out through the day, but it was expected that Charlie Montoyo was going to be the bench coach under Pedro Grifal, which, um, Oh, I got, Dull steak, redeem hats off to you. So now I got to go and I got to find a different hat. I'll be right back. Give me one second. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? Let's, uh, in light of the uh, NFL trade deadline and a spate of moves today, I'm going to go ahead and do one of these. Not White Sox related, but I got to throw the Bears hat on. I'm uh, I'm a fan of the Chase Claypool signing, slash trade, some of the other moves. So there you go. All yeah, right, Bears hat. Today. <laughs> oh, hey, you know the Bears look the Bears look pretty bad this season. But like I said, it, in in light of of the uh, trade deadline happening today and a and a, a a pretty busy NFL trade deadline. Yeah, they did some. You, they you did Bears do some things. I'll I'll give them that, and there's they did they did some interesting things. Um, so back to the Montoyo thing, you know, there was a bunch of people that wanted Espada, and there were a bunch of people that wanted Quatraro from Tampa Bay, and what they essentially have in Charlie Montoyo is a more proven version of Matt Quattraro because he was the Rays bench coach in 2018 and he was hired away by the Blue Jays 
to run the buildup to what the Blue Jays were hoping were going what was going to be their dynasty, like their version of what the White Sox core of Robert and Moncada and Aloy, like what those guys are to the White Sox, they put Montoyo in charge of getting those guys to do what we're hoping happens here with the White Sox. Um, and he was let go earlier this year. He was the third manager fired this year. Um, he was fired by the Blue Jays uh, after, I believe, in like a, an 11-game stretch. They went 2-9, and nine, um, and they let him go, despite the fact that they were four games over five hundred. Now, you know, like... While I will say, yeah, that that whole you know that whole situation is obviously not ideal. You know, like clearly him going two and nine and doing that uh, was not good. However, um, you know, I one of the things that happened uh, right at the beginning of that stretch was that one of the the uh, the first base coach, uh, his daughter died in, uh, in that doubleheader some, at some point during that doubleheader or before the doubleheader. And he found out during that doubleheader and that started that 11 game stretch, uh, Montoyo and the first base coach flew to Virginia with a couple of other staff from the blue Jays and went to, uh, went to the funeral, you know? Um, so you know that was just like a, a obviously a very difficult and weird stretch for the team at that time you know and it was decided like shortly after montoyo came back from that whole thing uh you know when they came back from that that he was going to be relieved of his duties um very just strange scenario um also you know you're you're looking at montoyo who also came in fourth place in the manager of the year voting the year beforehand and this is coming on the you know like how stupid had to it have been to be playing with toronto you're playing in minor league parks you guys essentially you know like half the time don't have uh you know your own real major league baseball park i mean very difficult situation for him and they let him go so you know, him coming from Tampa Bay, obviously he's on the analytical side of things as well. So not only have you brought in Griefall, who's into analytics, now you've got Montoyo also on that side of things. Um, and it has some recent success. Yeah. You know, I'm, it's not World Series success, but he's got some postseason success on, their, on his uh, resume. Uh and, you know, my thing was, and you and I talked about this a little bit earlier, and, and you know, I'm liking everything that you're saying right now. I was kind of not feeling that higher a little bit just because of, you know, how things might have played out in Toronto. I uh, didn't realize that that's how kind of the whole scenario went down. I, I really, I guess, kind of weird, huh? attention. 
Yeah. Yeah. I guess I just didn't really pay that it wasn't, much attention yes, to how it went down. They didn't, re- you know, like that was the thing is it wasn't like something that was really widely talked about, you know? Yeah. Like you actually have to look into the situation pretty deep to find out that that situation even happened, you know? And the thing was is that you also have to look at the situation of the Blue Jays is at that time, you know, sounds really familiar, but none of his hitters were hitting. Springer was hitting like I, th- I want to say he was hitting like one eighty five or something like that at some point. Yeah, and yeah, it was bad. Yeah, he was not good. Uh, and this is supposed to be like one of your big, fr- you know, this is supposed to be a big free agent acquisition, you know. And he comes and he's not hitting. Uh, Bichette was awful. Uh, Guerrero was not really hitting all that well either. I mean, there was just all sorts of bad juju with the offense, and then. You have Alex Manoa, and then you have Kevin Gossman, who are pitching. Well, that's it, because right there was nothing after that. <laughs> y- yeah, exactly. You got uh, Barrios that they got from the Twins was had like almost a six ERA. Uh, <coughs> Hun Jin Ryu was on the IL, right? And uh, uh, what's his name? The uh, the prospect pitcher, uh, Nate Pearson, was awful, and the bullpen was terrible. And they're still four games over five hundred with with yeah. all of that nonsense when he got yeah. let go. Um, and you know, my my biggest hang up on him, I would say, and you know, like I said, I didn't know any of this until you and I had actually talked, and I, and I have been swayed since then. Uh, but. You know, this afternoon, I don't think I told you this. My biggest issue on him was the fact that it, he was kind of sold out as being a a rebuild manager yeah. and, and not being the guy to, you know, be the one to take them all the way. And I immediately, when I hear things like that, think of Ricky Renteria. You know, he was the he was the players manager. He was the buddy in the clubhouse that everybody could go open door, you know, hug it out, laugh and joke and have a great time. And we're going to get through this tough part of a rebuild together, even though we're not going to go out and, you know, be 500, you know, at the end of the season. And we're going to keep it together and we're, I'm going to I'm going to do everything I can to keep you guys interested and still try to help you develop you know, through these hard times. And that's kind of the feeling that I got the way Toronto was selling Charlie Montoyo. But, you know, after digging a little bit and after hearing the things that you had to say to me, you know, I got to honestly say that I went back and I looked a little bit and there's a lot more to Charlie Montoyo than uh, Rick Renneria's time as a manager. And even, you know, before his time as a manager, whether it be on the north side or the south side. You know, Charlie Montoyo's got some pretty he, – he's got some respect and some accolades behind his name, and, I, you know, I, I'm sold. Yeah, I mean, and this is the thing, you know. I am not declaring that this hire of either of these gentlemen is going to be successful. This might no, end up being a, yeah. It, it might end up being a complete and total train wreck. But what I am saying is that it wasn't an insular hire. 
it was not AJ. It was not Tommy. It was not Willie Harris. It was not, uh, you know. It wasn't turning back the clock on Scott Radinsky. You know, like they didn't go out and just hire, you know, like go and scan previous rosters from years ago. They didn't just do that and then, you know, pick a name just out of, you know, random, just take all the, all the, players that have been from, you know, 2010 and, you know, from 1985, just take all those <laughs> names from the roster and just drop them into a hat and pick one, you know, like, me. I'm just happy that that's not what happened here is that it seems that they went through a proper, uh, managerial search and like a, a, a at least a pseudo extensive, search for a new manager you know it wasn't just like this lip service thing you know like there was it seems like they actually interviewed quite a few people um uh i was going over it earlier i think we were talking with uh logan hart earlier so we got mendoza with the yankees uh griefel obviously um espada uh kevin long um uh, quattraro uh, Ron, Ron Washington, Washington. Uh, Cairo, Miguel Cairo. Um, um, yeah, there was a few names out there, and you know the the crazy thing is, is the one thing that people who are not happy about this hire want to complain about really is that this is not a coach who has had recent playoff experience, and you know. Rick Hahn laid out an entire list of things, and that's the one box. That's the only box that he doesn't check. But, you know, it wasn't that long ago when he was the catching coach and the Royals went to back-to-back World Series. I mean, it, it you know, it might seem like a little bit ago, but it, it really isn't. It I, It's not, you know, decades. You know what I mean? The guy has been part of a winning culture in his coaching career, so... You know, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, you know, and there's also the fact, you know, like when he was a, when he was actually a player, uh, his uh, his Florida State team won the College World Series. Um, I think he was, uh, you know, all star in the Cape Cod League. You know, I mean, there, there, he has done some things, and he has been, you know, at least somewhat of a accomplished player and has done a lot of things. So there's experience backing it up. I mean, it's not managerial world series, you know, playoff experience, but you know, then again, how many world series playoff experience managers are out there and available that aren't, you know, somebody Past that's their prime. Yeah, or- exactly. <laughs> somebody that you don't want to have anything to do with. You know, I mean, we went over the other day the uh, the Aussie thing. You know, with the fact that we know for sure that that him and Ta had clashed a little bit. You know, as far as like personalities go, and uh, and that you know Ozzy had burned many a bridge by himself with his own personal life decisions. You know, I'm not going to be honest with you. I like 
Ozzy on the post game show. Sure, yeah, he's great. I love him as an analyst. Uh, you know, as long as I can understand what he's saying, <laughs> I love him as an analyst because he has no issue with calling somebody out. Yeah, there's a, there's definitely some of that. There, that's refreshing on a post game show. Is that what I want in the dugout? Do I want a guy who maybe not get who he might not get any favor from, you know, the umpires? And I'm sorry. You know, people are supposed to say, well, umpires are supposed to be impartial, but, you know, they're human beings. And when you've got a guy who wants to act like a goofball and talk a lot of smack and get in people's faces, you know, this is not, I'm not reinventing the wheel here. It happens, you know. Yeah. Uh, these guys can hold a grudge. <laughs> a or bit. you may not get a call for an inning or two. You Anything close is going to go the opposite way. You know what I mean? And, it, you know, those borderline calls are, are automatically go against you. So, you know, do we really need that? I mean, the 2005 World Series it, it, postseason in general was one that should tell you that, you know, as good as your team is, a little luck can go a long way as well, too. Yep. Uh, speaking of umpires, did you happen to catch the Pat Hoberg umpire scorecard? I did from not. The other day? And. No, I did not, and I am a subscriber to uh, Umpire Scorecards on uh, the old tweet machine. So for the people that are listening in on the podcast version, this is Pat Hoberg's Umpire Scorecard from Game 2 of the World Series. And I will just go ahead and read it off to you. Overall accuracy, 100%. Overall favor per team. Plus zero. Overall consistency, 96%. Called ball accuracy, 100%. Called strike accuracy, 100%. Yeah, that's uh, out freaking standing. Out freaking standing. Uh, you don't hear, you know, it's, it just sounds like Major League Baseball got it right with this uh, umpiring crew. In the World Series. Uh, and then there are, you know, guys like Angel Hernandez who are, you know, trying to sue for, uh, you know, discrimination because he's not getting enough postseason recognition. Yep. Well, take a look at this scorecard, Angel, and uh, get back to me. Tell me why you're not working in the postseason as much as you think you should be. Absolutely ridiculous. Um for you know, I, I've seen his umpire scorecards throughout this entire season, and the thing that was great about it, you know, was that I would look at it and, you know, I'd be like, "Oh wow, that guy did a great job," you know, calling balls and strikes in that game. Now, you know, of course, there's in-game decisions and whatever that could possibly go wrong, but his strike zone is phenomenal and it has been all year. Uh, I'm sure that somebody, you know, will find one game here or there that's not as as you know, great, but I mean, from the ones that I saw from this season, uh pretty much every single one of them was great. And when there was a you know, I, I from what I remember, like pretty much every single one was like 98, 99 accuracy. So um so, yeah, uh, I, I don't know, you know, like I said, I'm not 100% uh, going to say that I think that the managerial hire of Griefel was 
an outright success and that everybody should be super stoked about it. Um, but I would implore you to at least have somewhat of an open mind and know that this managerial hire doesn't appear to be standard fare for the White Sox is that it looks like the organization went out of its comfort level and hired some outside voices from other teams. Now, I understand that you may not like the fact that he was with the Royals, um, but there is a plethora of experience there. And he's also bringing Montoyo, who is you know, a capable manager in his own right, also with him. And I think that it's just to, to dismiss this as a you know, as, as a bad hire or to be just mad because he's just from the Royals and they're a last place club. I think that's uh short-sighted. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, you know what? I'll just sum up my feelings really quickly here. I'm just going to say that, uh, like I said earlier, uh, I'm going to give it, you know, a little bit of time to show me, but uh, I am going to remain optimistic in in the in the time being uh now i'd like to see what uh basically what rick Hahn and company are going to do with the remainder of the off season if they're going to be active in the trade market like uh rick Hahn says if he thinks that's the best way to continue uh a successful process for the white Sox, uh you know we'll see how that goes but uh yeah managerial search just going to remain optimistic and uh, go from there. Yeah, I don't think – I mean, obviously, we don't have any choice. And it might not right, be uh, the, yeah. <laughs> the guy that you wanted, but, you know, you know, we were talking about Ron Washington. And, you know, if they bring him over as, uh, you know, third base coach or something, fine. Yeah, oh, that would be fantastic. But, I, you know, obviously <laughs> I kind of doubt that's going to happen. But yeah, you know. It's going to be hard to pull him away from the Braves right yeah, now. for sure. Uh, for a lateral move, unless they, you know – throw some money his way yeah but uh yeah it's tough tough to see that happening but man what i, I tell you what i would be pretty ecstatic uh, about the direction of the offseason to this point if that were to happen yep for sure i you know i'm uh i'm going to you know remain optimistic and uh hope that this is the right direction for the White Sox, you know, that uh, motivation yep. is not an issue and that everything is good. Um, so I, when we had our churros redeemed for the hats off to you, I went and I chose my Charlotte Knights home cap. And for good this, reason. this had, this had its reasons um, if you did not happen to check on Twitter today, the Charlotte Knights have done a rebrand. Uh, it is more or less the 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 logo the logo itself, it being a, a C with a knight's uh, helmet in it, is you know it's still there and there is a crest where it says Charlotte Knights and there is that said helmet on there as well uh but it looks like they have changed and added a what looks to be uh almost turquoise slash uh carolina blue to the logo and the C is a little bit uh not obviously not quite as jagged as the one on the current 
uh, or actually last season's hat. Uh, it looks like just a uh, <coughs> a regular, C, you know, a, a regular ish C. Um, yeah. Um, so also, um, I got pictures of yeah, the be, of the unis here. Oh, I was going to say I'll be look I'll be on the lookout for new unis, but uh, there it is. Seems we're there. <laughs> yeah. So we've got the uh, uh, bright blue jersey there uh with pinstripe pants uh it is a blue jersey with knights in uh, uh their new font across the chest and it is a bright blue with uh golden black uh cuffs on the outside and uh on the neck and it's well. kind of snazzy actually yeah, it's not bad um yeah, you know, i'm digging it i do like the black and gold Personally, you know, like I was kind of fond of it, but I will not not go and get these hats because I right. will. I will have them. <laughs> uh, and here are the other, uh, the away and the uh, alternate. The uh, away being the Charlotte uh, gray uniform with blue and black uh, cuffs and neck and. Uh, Charlotte in a solid font across the uh, across the front, uh, black with blue bill for the hat, and then the home alternate, which is a pinstripe, uh, black and white pinstripe with knights in Carolina blue or whatever color blue that is across the chest, and then a all black cap with the turquoise slash Carolina blue uh, C. I guess that's more of like. A, I'd say that probably that color blue is more along the lines of the Hornets. The Hornets yeah. blue from like uh, the early 90s. Tar Heel. Yeah. Not it's quite not quite Tar Heel blue. Yeah, not quite that light. It's a little bit more of an electric blue. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, I will certainly at least be getting the all black one. At least. Okay. Um, and rocking that on this uh, this fine program. Um, well, thanks for hopping on tonight, Danny. I appreciate it. Um, oh, it was a pleasure, man. Always a pleasure to uh, chat White Sox with you. And it's likewise. it's nice to have a little bit of news after uh, you know just kind of some assumptions that we've been you know dealing with in these reports there lately. So you know, we finally got a little something to talk about. Now let's just hope that the uh, ball keeps rolling here. Yeah. I you know I mean now we now we see what they're gonna do with the uh, collection of talent on the White Sox you know whether they're going to uh, do some you know interesting uh, interesting trades slash free agent signings whatever uh, what they're gonna do to try and help improve the ball club that uh, Griefall and Montoya will be presiding over uh, it should be interesting. Um, so at Daily White Sox on Twitter, uh, we are on YouTube, uh, White Sox, White Sox, uh, White Sox Daily uh, You can find the podcasts there. You can also find uh, the written uh, articles that are uh, published, and um, uh, at Iaskridge on Twitter at Danny Miller WSD on Twitter as well. Uh, we thank you for coming and hanging out and listening and watching in the stream at twitch.tv slash White Sox Daily. 
Uh, generally, every Monday at 9. Uh, but, uh, you know, given the situation of the day of the White Sox finally filling the managerial vacancy, uh, we figured it was a good day to get out there and, you know, at least try and uh, calm the mania of at least a few people, hopefully, and uh, help them <laughs> come to terms with uh, somebody that wasn't their first pick getting the managerial job. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm like I said, I'm hopeful. Uh, I'm optimistic and uh, we'll just go from there. Honestly, it's, you know what? The ride could be, it, there's the potential for the ride to be a good one. Let's hope. I have to say that. All right. Well, with that, my name is Ian Eskridge for my co-host, the Danny Miller. You guys have a great night and we will catch you next time. Thanks. Thanks.